Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest this episode is Bill Mann. So, Bill, if you want to give a little bit of uh, background on yourself. Hey, good morning, Tony. Uh, yes, um, my name is Bill Mann. I'm CEO of a company called Styra. Uh, we're an authorization company. Uh, fundamentally, uh, at the high level, uh, we all know what authentication is, you know, who a person is. We are focused on what a person or a service can do. And this is all built with an open source project called Open Policy Agent that we created and we maintain. Okay. Um, and, 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 and I think it's an interesting distinction as well. I mean, you know, like, you know, authentication, you know, like there's a lot of uh, identity and access management, you know, authentication type stuff in general. Um, you know, but, but the, the focus on the, on the, what you can do, um, is, is interesting. Um, there, you know, in, in, in a report you guys, uh, I think it was a report you guys had recently, there's a stat that said that 70% of, uh, CISOs believe that open source is the path to faster security now. And I, and I've, I've had many conversations over the years about kind of the pros and cons of open source when it comes to security. And, and for a lot of, for a lot of years, I was on the sort of anti uh, open source side where my, my, I, I, I was more on the side of feeling like the fact that it's open means that anyone can just go look at look at the source code, find the vulnerabilities. And, you know, so it's just, you know, it makes it easier to find the vulnerabilities. Um, but I've since come around, like I understand, I understand the other side of the fence. Um, mm -hmm. That that said, I think there's there there are still issues on 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 the pro side. The idea is well because it's open source and and it's you know everyone can see the source code. Then the the vulnerabilities will ostensibly get identified more quickly and 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 addressed because you know it, anyone can do, anyone can do it. But there's also always this sort of assumption that someone's doing it. Like no no one actually has responsibility. Like you can't point to someone and say well why didn't you fix that. Um, yeah, you know, so, so I, I see it a little bit of, of both. Um, and, you know, so to, so to come back to this, you know, so 70% of CISOs believe open source is the path to faster security, but there are also, you know, reports out there that cite vulnerabilities in open source code as one of the biggest challenges to security. Uh, and, you know, and you look at things like log4j, you know, where, you know, companies that are using Apache that that's easy they can say oh we're, we're we're actually using apache so that that affects us but the thing with open source code is a lot of times it's you're you're not using the whole project you're not using the whole thing you're using snippets and and, and components of it that are embedded you know three layers deep in some other pro program or application that you're you're running so i think a lot of companies don't even know what open source code they're running so yeah. All of that is a very long-winded way for me to get to uh, just asking you your opinion. Uh, you know, is open source good or bad for security? Yeah. Well, ultimately, I do believe that it's good for security, and uh, it's based on several kind of factors, and uh, it's also a realization that we're not there today either, right? I mean, even in the closed software world that you know we can contrast open source to it's not there either right we we hear vulnerabilities on a regular basis from closed software companies right up and down the stack right so it's it's not the the point i'm making is you know open source is not there either but the 
opportunity for open source to get there in terms of the the level of risk that we want to be able to achieve within organization it's actually possible with that model of open source um you know the fact that and you cited it the fact that it's open source and you can look at it and there's uh, a set of people around the globe that are looking at it and maintaining it gives it that credibility now one of the things that you said which was, you know, anybody can, you know, you don't know if anybody's going to fix it and so forth, right? To a certain degree, that's too true, but it's not true for the well-managed, governed projects, right? So um, one of the things, um, and maybe you know this already, but one of the things I learned as I entered the open source space, so I came from the classic enterprise B2B security space. And, you know, when I joined the company as CEO, you know, this was my first open source company. And what I learned was, you know, there's uh, foundations like the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which have a governance model, right? You know, almost like a, you know, a company, right? Where there's management, there's maintainers, there's contributors, there's a cycle of looking at vulnerabilities and so forth, right? And there's a lot of documentation as well. And our open source project, which is a graduated project from CNCF, meets those kind of criteria, right? So there is a governance model because, and there's, there are a set of people who work at companies, right, whose jobs, right, like, you know, I've got folks in my company whose job is to make that open source project a successful project, right? Um, so that does exist, right? But, uh, I think the other kind of parallel point here is, you know, the question was really about, you know, open source and security, but there's another thing that's happening, which is open source is inherently being used for building modern application stacks. Um, well, I mean, you can make the argument that, you know, when we're being building on Linux, right, that's been open source for a long time, right? You know, and that, that, that by definition, but, you know, it, that, 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 that wave has just increased, you know, extensively up and down the stack, right? So, uh, you know, you know, the audience probably knows, you know, you know, there's there's a movement called Kubernetes now, right? Right. And, you know, based upon that movement, a lot of traditional organizations, right? I was at KubeCon, which is a cloud, you know, cloud native conference a couple of weeks ago in Spain. And Mercedes Benz was presenting right on stage and talking about how, you know, they needed to have, you know, um, you know, a website which was showing their new model, they need to have a lot of innovation, and they set up themselves on Kubernetes several years ago, and that was a case study about how they're using Kubernetes. But Kubernetes, they chose it because it was an open source project. And then layered on top of that Kubernetes project is a set of other open source projects now, now right? You know, service meshes and security projects that open policy agent. So that movement is happening in a big way. And what we find is, Every large organ, every organization who's building software now has is building software uh, with a basis on open source. So then that leads to the question of security and open source and the need for getting better governance for those projects and so forth. Right. Um, you know, yes, I'm a stronger believer that that model of having a large set of people looking at the code. Right. Is going to lead to stronger, more secure code. Right. And and I'm not saying there's never going to be any space for closed source, of course, layered on top of it, just like my company does. Many, many other companies where we provide layers on top of that. But the basic engines, right, just like Linux was the engine for us, which sits underneath really, you know, Mac OS and the Mac and the Apple Mac I'm using at the moment. 
the the core components are going to be open source and that's what i think where the industry is going and there's a a lot of interest in that model because it's going to de-risk the basic components of it but it's not there yet right i mean i mean you know it would be fooling anybody to say it's dead at the moment okay um well and and, and i agree with you, you know there, you know you have open source uh you know there are very large open source you know projects you know kubernetes uh, mm. one of them you know uh um uh, some of some of some of them I could think of like were open source and then and now they're not, which things like Nessus. Um, but um, uh, but there are also just thousands of you know open source projects out there. You know, tens of thousands. Uh, and yeah, well, yeah, exactly. There's thousands of open source projects, and uh, uh, but there's very few of those open source projects that have gone through the kind of a, the graduation process, right. right? The vetting process and so forth. So um, like our project, Open Policy Agent, it's a graduated project, right? And to get graduation, uh, it's not just like, you know, you know, a couple of tests here and there. You have to have large scale adoption within customer environments, right? You need to get feedback from those environments. It needs to be vetted from a security and a vulnerability perspective, right? You've got to have other vendors contributing to it. So no one single vendor owns the code, right? So we've got like 5,000 contributors to over at the moment. Um, so, and that's a several year project of, of graduation and most yeah. projects, I don't even get that far, right? So, and that's the point I'm making, right? Mm -hmm. um, that level of, uh, oversight from different companies which have got different agendas around the globe gives rise to a solid open source project right and the ones that don't get there well they didn't pass that laugh test right no <laughs> i say laugh test but that test from different organizations right um Oprah, for instance is used by google and microsoft in their cloud native stacks right and uh and it's used by a lot of other companies vmware and so forth right so and, you know, these companies don't go using that software uh, as a core component unless it meets, you know, specific requirements, which are specific for that organization for another one. We have a lot of, uh, you know, we work obviously with the OPA community and we see, you know, financial services, you know, insurance, healthcare, you know, all the all the verticals, right, adopting Kubernetes and then using us for the authorization component. Obviously, that's the, that's our only focus. Okay. Um, well, and, 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 and also, you know, to, you know, I, 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 I didn't mean, I didn't mean my line of questioning to be like an indictment of open source per se. Uh, no, 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 no. I, 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 I think it's, 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 I think it's great to kind of talk about it. Right. Because, and I, I personally find it exciting to talk about, cause I didn't know this stuff myself when I joined the company as CEO, right. Cause coming from the classic space. Um, Right. Well, and and I was gonna say too that you know at this point I feel like it 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 almost doesn't matter if you you know if if you're buying if you're if you're using an open source project like a pure open source project or you you're buying proprietary software there is like virtually guaranteed to be open source components involved like you 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 almost can't not use open source on some level um, yes yes but um, uh, you know, so so you know that 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 first that that first question was around you know seventy percent of CISOs believing that open source is 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 a path to faster security. Um, 
but in general, so let's, let's kind of step back from that. Um, that you know, there, there for for any organization that's that that's developing, uh, you know, applications and, and developing things, there's the, the the competing need of, you know, agility and 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 speed to market, trying to you know get there before your comp- competition and security and traditionally i feel like you know speed to market and agility uh are always the thing companies focus on first (laughs) and then and then someone goes oh wait we should secure that um Mm -hmm. so you know how do you think like how can CISOs effectively balance those two things agility and speed to market with the need for security at the same time well the way i think about it is um uh let's take an example that we're all familiar with now, you know, electric cars at the moment, right? Uh, electric cars in the in the previous generation, we, we worried about the engine and the horsepower and what's, what was under the hood. And now the generation of people who are buying electric cars are worried a lot about the software, the interface and so forth. So software is basically the core kind of component of a lot of businesses now, right? Uh, you go to Home Depot, right? You know, you can buy things from your phone and you can track things and find where they are in the location and the in, in in the in the in the buildings, right? And so everything is software related now. So the point I'm making is software has become kind of like a key differentiating feature for anything that anybody wants to you know sell, right? Even in the banking arena, you know, the new generation of you know, uh, folks who are using online banking accounts, they're looking for more secure banking accounts, right? They're looking for the ones, the banks that worry more about privacy and so forth versus, you know, more traditional ones. So the point I'm making is, point number one is software has become a critical component of the product that most organizations sell, right? Rather than selling a car before, yes, it's a car, but the, the software is a large portion of that value proposition now. Now, with software uh, getting uh, you know features out to the market as fast as possible has been there since day one, right? And and that balancing act, right, has shifted now because the the entire world, right, you know, especially the CISO community and the security community, you know, they've learned a lot in the last ten years in terms of privacy risk and breaches and so forth, right? And most people I talk to who are in software engineering and in the office of the CTO or anything around risk and so forth, they get it, right? And they've almost had enough of the, okay, you know, we're going to have our hands slapped again because we didn't think about it. Of course, we thought about security before, but the, it was hard to balance, right? Getting something out the door as fast as possible, right, to fixing the security. But that's changed now, and it's definitely changing now because software is a kind of a key component of it. People are understanding that just like when you do autopilot on a Boeing 747, it's complex software. I mean, software is complex, right? So that is pulling the thought process back to let's get security right on day one. So the number of software engineers we speak to, and look, 10 years ago, remember the days when Microsoft and other large companies just give everybody a book to say, let me teach software engineering about security, the importance of security. Engineers understand the importance of security. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if if anybody's using any social media, they understand, you know, the risk of posting the wrong thing or privacy and so forth. So that's now bleeding into the generation of software engineers who actually want to build 
secure software from day one. They don't want to be told, hey, you guys didn't think about it afterwards. So, so the CISOs know this and the CISOs are putting more emphasis on security earlier on in the development process, right? You know, that, that this whole you know, mark, you know, whole trend we've heard of shift left and so forth, right? right. So that's that's definitely happening. But I, uh, my my key point, it's happening because security has become now a key part of the product. If it wasn't, I think it would be still the same. But since everybody recognizes security is a key part of the product that they're offering, they know that product's got to work well. And and the first thing that consumers are doing is, you know, you know, authenticating themselves to it accessing it and so forth right and uh, and it, it's that's what's leading to you know security being a higher priority right uh, than than before um and you know and then then that kind of leads itself all the way to the food chain right which then leads itself to um you know CISO saying well if we're going to be building security earlier on then you know it's got to be done right on the first place right and you've got you know, just like Kubernetes was a reinvention of, you know, orchestration and deployment and so forth. You've got projects like Open Policy Engine, which are reinventions of how to do authorization in this environment, right? And, and uh, you know, when we think about policies, you know, most of us think about, you know, a, a PDF document this thick, you know, you know, and, you know, somebody puts it into their, you know, into their drawers and never looks at it again until next year until somebody else wants to audit it, right? I mean, OPA, Open Policy Agent, changes that whole landscape to what we call policy as code, right? So you codify policy, just like you codified infrastructure with Kubernetes. So the model is extremely different now. And it fits into the automation cycle that everybody wants to have as well, because, you know, Everything I've said, you know, everybody wants to get things done faster. Well, they're getting it faster because of the, the workflow is also changed for software engineering. When I started my career, you know, I had to do two or three releases a year, right, right. as an engineer, right? Now it's every 10 seconds if you want it to be, right? Because there's an automation process along there. And automation is great because you can check things along the way. But, and, and, and with, project like Open Policy Agent, you can also automate how you think about policy and how you think about testing of policies and so forth. So the overall you know, risk of the whole application starts to reduce because you've got a, a different way of thinking about it. And, and that is something I would just want to underline. It is a different way of thinking about it. This is not for legacy environments or retrofitting old stuff. It is like building a brand new home, right? Just like Tesla went ahead and said, okay, clean sheet of paper, we're going to build a different kind of car with a different chassis and a, you know, battery power. We're, you know, when we're talking to organizations, uh, classic, you know, law, you know, any organization building new applications, but they're building it with a clean sheet of paper, typically saying, we're going to start with Kubernetes. We're going to have a DevOps workflow model. We're going to use OPA for the authorization. We might use, you know, um, a service mesh, right? Like Istio, Envoy for you know microservices and so it's a complete architectural change, right? But sometimes you have to change things, right, to make them better, right? And because uh, you know some you know most engineers uh, will tell you you know they want to move forward, but they can't move forward because of the architectural constraints of the previous application stack. And uh, you know most organizations we talk to are are kind of like saying, okay, we're building a new online banking application, or we're building a new healthcare application, etc. Right. Well, so, so first of all, like, so I, I can, I can, uh, I can relate on the, uh, you know, 
historical way of doing the software releases because when I was you know in the trenches as a security yeah. engineer, like one of my roles uh, was doing like you know basically the security analysis of applications before they were launched to production. But that yeah. was but like you said, that was something we did three or four times a year. It was like a, it was like a quarterly release cadence. And, you know, and you had definite cutoffs like, all right, well, if you didn't get your change in by X, Y, Z date, it's not making the next release. And then, you know, mm -hmm. now, now you're looking at waiting six months because you got to get through this this cycle and the next one to, before you're going to see it in production. Um, and obviously a lot's changed. And to your point about cars, I would extend it, not, not just cars, but things that we traditionally think of as even the data center, you know, like mm -hmm. servers, infrastructure, like all these things, like everything has been sort of virtualized into code and and you know yeah. so like you know you're, you're talking about policy as code but it's you know but like i said you know you have servers as code you've got infrastructure exactly. as code everything is code um and obviously that changes things dramatically i mean like you know like you say about about cars it's like you know i i i grew i'm, I'm from detroit got the hat uh <laughs> I, I i i grew up in detroit obviously a big uh you know car mentality there and 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 when you go there like the there do tend to be more older cars in Detroit. People like to work on their cars and stuff, but like the cars today, you can't really do that. It's, you know, it's hard. It, you can't really be like a hobbyist who likes to tinker with your car on the weekend because you need a computer. Like you, you have to have the diagnostic computer to do anything with a car today. Um, and, and something like a, like a Tesla or, you know, some of the other cars that, you know, some of the other manufacturers are working on now. It's really, it, it, the car is the software and the vehicle is just the platform the software is running on and it's like it, yeah. it almost doesn't matter what the what, you know the, the actual like physical hardware of the car is almost irrelevant um so all of that's very interesting but but it it, it also talks about you know the evolution that you 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 alluded to which is that that legacy way of okay we're going to do three releases a year four releases a year um doesn't work uh any anymore um and um you know that's why we have you know all of the automation that's why we've gone from waterfall to agile to devops um in terms of you know development uh mentalities um so you know in in, in your uh you know i'd like your insight on like where we're at today how does how does having a you know devops or devsecops mindset you know, help an organization be able to maintain that balance between speed to market and security. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, the mindset is the most important thing, right? You know, just having that mindset helps an organization kind of chart its path, its path kind of moving forward. If it doesn't have the mindset of doing something slightly differently than what it's done before, it's never going to be able to move forward, right? Um, and so that mindset can, you know, as long as folks at the top of the organization understand that mindset and they're asking the right questions and they're putting the right kind of investment into making sure that they're getting, uh, you know, automation set up between the organizations. And look, nothing nothing happens overnight in any organization, but a mindset is the most important thing. Knowing that there's a vision for the organization that we want to be able to have updated releases of our software on a weekly or a monthly basis, right? And we want to implement automation throughout the process and want to do things earlier than later, right? That mindset, right? Um, it's just words in the end, right? <laughs> you know, like like anything, these are just words in the end, right? But, uh, you know, I, I find that uh, 
you know, organizations are still kind of working on that kind of old fashioned model of, you know, let's do a quarterly sit down and look at our uh, kind of, you know, high alerts that we've got, you know, reported on our sites and so forth. Right. You know, a lot of the meetings and the kind of the way we operate has has to change. Right. And it can come from the top with purely that mindset. Right. The other thing about this mindset and I, I, I think you probably can kind of kind of relate to this as well, right? Is in the past, what I found was, you know, platform architects and generally just architects within the organization, they knew what to do, right? They just didn't have a voice, right? And, you know, it was just too easy for somebody who had a suit and tie and somebody who was much more business inclined to say, it's okay, we're not going to listen to you. We're just going to buy this particular piece of software for, you know, it solves a problem, it's cheaper or whatever, right? Um, but what we are finding now is very clearly that, you know, the, the architects have a voice, right? And, and mostly it's because they're just so annoyed that they're having to deal with uh, the crap from the previous projects that they worked on, right? They don't want to make the same mistakes again. So uh, they have a strong voice and they are strongly involved in how to architect these systems, right? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I found actually very interesting uh, three or four years ago, this is, right, is uh, when you go to the KubeCon conference or any of these conferences and you compare those conferences like to the RSA security conference, the RSA security conference is mostly C-levels and senior people. But when you go to KubeCon, it's developers, DevOps engineers, platform engineers, and they are the ones with their with their fingers on the pulse, they're looking at the technology, they're using the technology. They, if they like it, they're going to like it. If not, you know, they're going to try something else, right? So that bottom-up motion of of using technology again and you know, hands-on with that technology is also the mindset that organizations want to encourage within within their organization because it's better to get a more secure application when you've got developers who know the tech stack that they want to use. They don't want to be forced into using any tech stack anymore. And I'm seeing that big time with larger organizations where the, the C-levels are saying, you know what, let the architects tell us the new tech stack they want to use, right? We want to make sure we can deliver on time. We want to have the innovation. It's got to be secure because security is such an important part of our kind of offering now, right? And and the architects are making those choices, right? Rather than before when it was, you know, you know a, a contract vehicle that was making the choice, right? So there's a lot of those kind of changes. And, you know, in the end, it's that kind of that, that mindset of the senior folks to say, look, I understand this, right? We are, we are going to listen to you uh, versus, you know, the old, which is, right, you know, we're just going to make some, some corporate decisions on some technology without really considering what's, what's real anymore, right? So... Um, and I think that's that's just a, that's a just an important kind of construct that I'm seeing now um, for the companies that are being very successful, and we've seen it across the board here, right? This is not you know any particular vertical. Everybody wants to do the everybody wants to do the right thing, right? And it's not that they didn't want to do the right thing before, but now they're listening to the people who can actually make a difference in the organization, right? So uh, you know, uh, I may sound very optimistic, but you know what? I I, I spend a lot of time with. Uh, with developers and DevOps folks. And, you know, it's just not what people used to think 10 years ago, which is like, these guys don't have a clue about security. They do. They absolutely do. We all want to build stuff that is, you know, used by a lot of people 
and it's secure and it keeps the right right people accessing the right information and the wrong people who don't right i mean that's ultimately we want to be able to do that yeah well and i think in there you know when, when you say you know the developers you know the people who are doing these things you know like they they, they want to do the right thing and 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 they know and they generally know what the right thing is um i i feel like one of the things that has shifted in the last decade uh which was mm. which which really needed to shift is the top down part it's 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 what's what's the pressure on you as a developer is the, is the pressure to get the product out fast no matter what or is the pressure to get the product out secure no matter what or you know or, or is it to find the right balance um and you know i think i think when i was doing security assessments on on software the 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 mentality from the top security wasn't in the in the picture like they, they didn't they, that, that was an afterthought they didn't care about that they were yeah. uh, my my job my job was to check a box to show that they yeah. you know they did a security assessment um which always made me the bad guy because then i'm you know i, I they're they're ready to go to production and i'm the guy who has to go oh no you you, <laughs> you can't do that mm. um and and so i think you know that yeah like you know part of that part of that devops mindset and and, and devsecops is um not just in breaking down the silos between development and operations and security and 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 sort of changing the culture of the way they work together but it's making sure that from the board and the c-suite down that they are also invested in this process and that and that and that they are uh you know focused on and promoting the right things yeah well i think you've seen that and i won't give specific examples but we've seen that with public companies having security uh, issues and the stock price you know going down uh, you've seen um, you know lawsuits you know from various organizations on the financial markets basically saying well hold on now you've just disclosed you didn't take the right kind of precautions from a security perspective i've lost all this money etc cetera, etc cetera. so even from a pure financial perspective right there's a correlation between you know reduction in stock price to security incidences right now I mean, stocks also fall, you know, come back as well over a, a certain period of time. And I, re I remember several years ago, it was there was a lot of debate about, yeah, the stock went down by 20%, but now it's back up to the same level. We don't have to worry about it, right? But I think that that was kind of like, you know, uh, at a time, those kind of perspectives. But I think that, you know, good CEOs at public and private companies just know the importance of security and how much relies on that security right again it all goes back to the fact that security i mean software sorry has become kind of a, a critical component of the offering that companies provide in the first place if software wasn't then i i think no it wouldn't be that important right you know people can gloss over it and say it's important but it wouldn't be that important but since software is such a critical part of it i mean if you're driving an electric car and you can't get your downloads and can't have access to your car, right? Because you don't even have a key anymore. You're done, right? I mean, you know, it's crazy, right? And um, the the same is true for everything else as well. And you know, look, let's also just add on top of that the fact that we're in a um, you know social media information travels extremely fast now, right? So when there is a vulnerability on your at your, at your company, you know, the market's going to know about it, right? The the general public's going to know about it, and so forth. And it's very easy for you know, 
consumers to move from one platform to another platform, right? Or it's becoming easier, right? You know, from one bank to another bank. I mean, in the, in 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 Europe, in England, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, there was laws passed to make it very easy for a, a consumer to move, move from one bank to another bank, right? Uh, like you know, transferring the money and so forth, right? You know, a couple of clicks and so forth, right? So, uh, yeah, that's the that's a change that's happening, and uh, and 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 certainly at the board level, they're they're understanding that some boards are even saying they're going to have a uh, somebody representing security and risk from a IT perspective on the board, right? Um, so boards are kind of getting independent board members who can add that kind of you know perspective for the board and so forth right so i think we're just going through a a a good amount of change at all levels of the stack at the c level all the way down to the developer right uh, in this movement um and i think we're going to be in a you know a better place it's, it's that next evolution that the market needed but fundamentally right i mean markets have to change and we have to evolve and that's what's happening at the moment right um so uh it's it's certainly you know I th- I think we're certainly trending in the right way. I mean, I was at the RSA Security Conference you know, last week in San Francisco, and you know, just started off after two years. And you know, there's a lot of you know, you know, buzz around security, um, but it's a lot more around kind of automation and kind of like ground ground level security rather than the kind of like the dashboards and so forth. Right? It's like trying to solve security at the lowest level. You know, my company. You know, we created Open Policy Agent because we wanted to have a, we wanted to rethink the way authorization was done in its entirety, right? I and mean, we, you know, everything, you know, prior to our company and this open source project was just another variation of something that was done. It needed a rethink, right? And just like infrastructure as code is a rethink to how we used to deploy, uh, you know, Linux infrastructure. I used to write scripts and so forth when I, when I just sit in the data center. Uh, it's a rethink of, you know, let me define the definition of something and it's a, a YAML file that describes the description of this application and let something else kind of take it over and deploy it and it can it can be ephemeral. The same is the approach we're taking with policy and we're making sure that you can have strong policy and policy constructs, right, uh, for all the different parts of the stack, right? You know, why should you have to have a different way of doing policy for every single product that you use, every single technology you use. You can have the same authentication for everything. You can have the same logging for everything with technology like Splunk. You can have the same platform for everything with Kubernetes. Why not the same for for policy? And that's why building an open source project is not a six month job. It's typically several years, right? And yeah. and it to become a de facto standard, which is what OPA is. Um, you can't do it on your own. You need the community. You need the participation of everybody in the community, both you know vendors and customer end customers who are using it, testing it. You know, you know, you know, telling you what they don't like about it and so forth. And that iteration is what leads to a successful open source project. Okay. Um, well, all right. So you know, my I guess kind of my my closing question or final question is is sort of when it comes to devsecops and that and that pipeline and the automation and stuff you know do you have any recommendations any guidance best practices like you know what what should that pipeline look like like how what 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 does it need to in, include for an organization to like get that right 
Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, number one, it's you know, it's implementing a, a CI/CD uh, kind of you know, and I won't mention the vendors and so forth, but that model is what you want to implement within your organization, right? Because that model allows you to have uh, the DevOps, DevSecOps kind of workflow defined in your environment, right? So that's choosing and you know uh, one of the you know many vendors out there and picking one of those and implementing that is kind of critical. Then looking at the individual steps in that pipeline and implementing policy and controls at different layers of the stack, right, uh, is is critical, right, because. You know, it's no use finding uh, that you're just about to deploy a an image into production right at the end stage, just before it gets deployed. Because if you could have scanned it earlier on with a vulnerability scanner and not, you know, inserted it into the yesterday's build, it would have been way better from a security point of view. So implementing policy at different layers of that stack, and all of these, you know, CI/CD platforms and are all based on some level of open source technology. So it's very easy to plug in, you know, checks at different stages of that process, right? And, uh, and certainly, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what we find is organizations are, you know, checking you know, right at the end, just before Kubernetes gets deployed, you know, something's called admission control. It's a last check, right? So let's check if this application meets the guardrail policies that we want. It hasn't got images that didn't come from the right repo, for instance, right? Something as simple as that, which is vulnerability scanning. Um, and it's happening earlier on in the cycle as well when developers, dev, DevOps engineers are putting the new description of the application in, but checking it at different levels. So those are the two recommendations. Picking a uh, an automation uh, you know, you know, workflow approach with CICD and then implementing controls at different levels of that, of that workflow. And then, and obviously, uh, the good thing about these controls are, you know, DevOps engineers would know immediately in the tools that they are using if they're not meeting the policies of the organization. Okay. And so they don't have to go to some other tools. They're going to be able to get the information in the tools that they're using. And that's what Shift Lefty is all about. So they can fix the problem before it gets to a problem later on. Um, so that's my key recommendation, right, around this area. And uh, I think that's that's where a lot of focus is going on for most organizations. Uh, you know, you've heard the stern software supply chain security, which is what I've just described there, right? Implement that, implementing that model for your organization is critical. Okay. And then ancillary to this stuff is the stuff that we all already familiar with, like vulnerability scanning products, and op, you know, there's lots of those things. But those. Those are things that provide the information to the policy to make a decision, okay? Um, and uh, 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 that's that's the two recommendations. Okay, um, I think that's a very very good insight, uh, and 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 I, I I definitely agree on 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 the CICD side. You know, in terms of when when we talk about kind of automating the workflow, like that kind of is the foundation of that automation. That, that's that that's a foundation, right? I mean, you know. You know, and I answered it. I answered it that way because you know, yeah, workflows are. It's a vague term for most people. What does it mean? But it ultimately, it means implementing one of these technologies and saying, okay, this is the process that you're going to have for inserting new code in and getting it out the door, right? And you know, we're going to have tests tests at these points in the in the in the workflow. And look, we and you know, 
I suppose the, the obvious thing is this is not what we used to do before, right? Yeah. We never used to do before. We, what we used to do is once every three months do the one right at the end, right? But this is being done on an automated, continuous basis on a daily basis, right? And that's the thing. That's that's the way to de-risk an environment, right? Is to do it on an automated basis. No manual activities involved at all. All right. Um, well, I, you know, I I want to I want to thank you for joining me. And as we wrap, I wanted to um, just give you an opportunity. Um, like, where can people learn more about Open Policy Agent or more about Styra? Um, you know, like, you know, what, what are some resources they can they can use? Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, come to Styra.com. You know, we have an academy to free academy to teach the audience on uh, what is authorization, how to use open policy agent and so forth. A lot of free education there, blogs and so forth. Also go to the open policy agent website, just do a search and open policy agent. You'll see stacks of content there. So that those are the two places to go and learn about this technology. And, you know, we are the company that created it and we've built, you know, uh, you know, products, a cloud service on top of it to make it even easier to use. Uh, if you don't want to just start with open, what we're finding now is, you know, as a project has matured, uh, a lot of organizations, you know, don't want to start with a, you know, with the PCs that want to have more of a solution and a, you know, a service to help them and move down the path. Um, so come to us and check it out. Well, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to join me. I think it was a, a great conversation um, and, uh, and, you know, important things for people to, to know in terms of, uh, you know, getting getting secure code out the door quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.